0: The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680, WPTF, and 98.5 FM. This is the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, hosted by founder Sarah Coates, a licensed clinical mental health counselor. In this podcast, Sarah and her team of therapists will dive deep into many topics on mental health care. Here's your host, Sarah Coates.
1: Hello and welcome to the Turning Your Life Around podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Coates, and before we get started with today's episode, I do want to take a brief minute and just uh, give a trigger warning about the topic that we're going to discuss today, and if you have young children listening or If domestic violence is something in your personal story and you think it will affect you, just make sure that you have support as you listen to today's episode. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today, Tamara. Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So you are an LCSW over in 180's Carrie Apex office, and just share with the audience how you got into the field of clinical social work, mental health counseling. I've always just really felt a calling to help people, and so I was
0: entertaining the career options of nursing and pass out at the sight of blood, so uh-huh. that wasn't for me. Teaching, I need a little bit more patience, but <laughs> working one-on-one with people, especially young adults and adolescents, really spoke to me. So I've really enjoyed working here and um, helping a lot of people as I can.
1: That's awesome. Well, I know that the profession is privileged to have you as a member <laughs> and a helping professional. So today we are going to be talking about domestic abuse, domestic violence, and I know that you have some personal history to share about that. And I just want to say starting off, I really appreciate you taking a minute to just share with the audience and being vulnerable and sharing your own story and experiences. So thank you for that.
0: Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to. I It's definitely something that I have had to work towards it's been almost a decade removed. But yeah, I I really wanted to talk on it mainly that October is domestic violence and abuse awareness month. So I thought that this would be a good time to speak on it. And I always feel like the more people that do share their stories, the more people are able to self identify and kind of get themselves in a situation where they can get out of that. Abuse. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think when we hear other people's personal struggles and if we can relate to that or it makes us feel less alone in that struggle, especially, you know, I think this is kind of a way to to eliminate the stigma around some of these heavy topics is when a therapist shares that they've been through that struggle. It's kind of like people might say to themselves, wow, if a helping professional has gone through this, then I'm not alone in this regard either.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm just really open with my experience because I know that it's not as rare as some people think and my story is not unique. I didn't self-identify as a person in an abusive relationship because I just didn't fit that stereotype in my mind. I always thought of abused women as, like, weak or battered, and I just didn't fit that mold. I always said that we, like, loved intensely, and, oh, we were just crazy and obsessed with each other, and we would do this screaming, fighting, kissing, making up. It was just passionate, quote-unquote, love, Um, and it wasn't until... The marriage ended that I went to a therapist and my therapist said well why don't you just call it what it is and she's the first person to use the word abuse and I was like oh and it took a long time to self-identify as I, I had been through abuse so I think that you know a lot of people think of abuse solely as physical abuse and um, physical abuse definitely was something that was built up over time. And it started out with emotional and verbal abuse. Um, And so I guess I'll just share my my story with my relationship was, um, it started really young. Um, First, he charmed me. He, I was just a kid. I mean, we were in high school when we started dating, and we were together for 10 years total. We got married pretty shortly after high school. I was very young. And Like I said, he was obsessed with me, and I had such low self-esteem and absolutely zero healthy boundaries that this was like, yes, you know, this is exactly what I wanted. I know now, like, looking back, that there were red flags even prior to getting married. Um, But when you're wearing rose-colored glasses, Mm -hmm. all the red flags are white. (laughs) Um, And so I look back and I do notice, you know, even when he was – Younger, like he would get angry or frustrated and punch the wall or furniture or throw things. Or if we were driving, he would drive recklessly and like fast. And it was it was scary. He would start to tease me. And at first it was cute and like, oh, silly. But then it really came to insulting me and mocking me to the point of like, I genuinely believed most of the things he said, like I was stupid or crazy. Lots of, oh, you're so emotional. You're so dramatic it was, it got to the point where he was saying things like, you are lucky to have me, I'm the only one that will love you, I'm the only one that will put up with you, those kind of things. And so that was kind of moving into that second phase of like, he was manipulating me. And um, he also was insanely jealous, very worried about me cheating on him. His excuse was always like, well, my past girlfriends cheated on me. It's like, well, I'm not your past girlfriend, and I'm not giving you any reason to think I'm lying to you or am unfaithful. Um, but yeah, he was very paranoid that I was cheating on him. I think it was only a year into our marriage that he secretly turned on my location services on my phone, so he was tracking me wherever I was going. I was in college at the time because I was young, and there was one day I, I was living in Cary and. Are going to NC State, so it was a little bit of a commute, and I had four classes one day, and the second and third were canceled, <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to drive all the way back to Cary. So one of my friends was like, well, I live right across the street. Let's go to the apartment complex I live in, and we'll just hang out and have lunch or whatever. The second I left campus, my phone started blowing up, and he was like, where are you? Who are you with? Why, why didn't you tell me you were leaving campus? And, you know, I was like, oh, I had to explain myself. And that's when I realized, oh, my location service is on. I he knows say. where. He <laughs> he, know. Yeah, he know who he knew where I was at all times. Um, and then I would try and turn it off. He would turn it on. He was like, oh, I'm just wa- watching out for you. And it's a dangerous world and very protective. And there was a time that I was babysitting after school. And he showed up at the kid's house and scared the kid. It was like, well, what do you, you <laughs> You doing? What do you think? How do you think this is normal? And he's like, Well, I th- thought you were, you know, at a guy's house. Okay. And yeah, see, it, the, then he got my phone where he was syncing my phone so that he could see every text message, every mm. social media post and notification and stuff. And so any man that was texting me or posting on my Facebook wall would cause an argument. And again, I was in college. So there's group projects where I have to talk to men. And he really wanted me to go to an all-girl school, and I couldn't afford that.
1: So it was scary. It sounds like over a number of years, the progression of jealousy and trying to attack your self-esteem, right. make you question yourself. Right. Lots of questioning. And and I think that that's where like the next
0: phase of this abusive relationship went into isolation. And he was very possessive and said who I could and couldn't hang out with. And this is when he started using my Christian faith against me. And he would say things like, it's my wifely duty to please him and lots of coerced sexual activities and stuff like that, which was really hard being in a marriage because I didn't recognize rape as rape Mm -hmm. because I was married to him. Right. And... The whole like, oh, well, you made a promise to God that you would stay with me till death you part. And so there was a suicide attempt. And it was scary. And I told him what I was going to do and went upstairs. And he stayed downstairs. And I texted my sister and said, I love you. And you're a great sister. And she's like, haha have you been drinking? And when I didn't respond, she was like, oh, no. So she called my husband and was like, you need to check on her. What's going on? He's like, nah she's fine. And so she actually called the police. I think she was living in Spain at the time, too. So she called the police, told them my address. And when they came, was really passed out. I had taken a lot of sleeping pills. And he stood in the foyer. And I just had this really vivid image of him standing in the foyer and telling them, you can't take my wife. And they're like, we're trying to save her. She needs to come with us. And so I left in an ambulance and was hospitalized. I was in the hospital for just over a week. But that week happened to be Easter, my birthday and my mom's birthday and no one called me and no one visited and i just felt so abandoned and alone and scared and when i was released he was there with flowers and he handed me my phone and it was off so when i turned it on there was a ton of missed calls and messages and he had not told a single person where i was oh my goodness so i was left to believe that no one cared no one you know, he reinforced what he told you. Exactly. Prior. Yeah. And so I think that was kind of where I realized I needed to get out of the situation. It was too scary. I had tried to like break up with him or leave while we were dating a few times. Didn't work. (laughs) Because time that I would leave, he would then apologize and it's going to change. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and again, that, that hit to my self esteem was I didn't think I could, Leave. I didn't think anyone else would want to date me or I would be alone. And now, knowing now, like that would have been okay too. (laughs) It's better to be in no relationship than an abusive one.
1: Well, and just hearing your story, you can see a lot of times I think. Family members or friends say to the loved one who's in the abusive relationship, just leave. Why are you still staying with that jerk or whomever? Mm -hmm. And we know as therapists, when we hear other people's stories, and then again, just emphasizing yours, it's you question yourself. Am I being the crazy one? Mm -hmm. Am I, you know, blowing this out of proportion? Or you start to believe the lies that he says, like, yeah, no one else will love you. You're a bad person or whatever. And your self esteem gets so low, you don't think you can leave,
0: especially with more sticky situations with marriage or kids and owning property together. And things like that. And and I think that that kind of gives segue to how to get out. And unfortunately with me, it was like this last phase of complete control. And that's when it turned really scary and violent. I was always fearful. Uh, and he would like grab me, pull me, restrain me and break things. The last night I saw him before we got divorced was I was home with him and he didn't like that I was talking to a coworker who was a male and grabbed my phone and smashed it. Now, this was like mm-hmm. iPhone 3 or something. And the way he grabbed my phone, he must have called my emergency contact, which was my dad. And he smashed it into the ground. And it was in a million pieces. And I just saw, like, all of my hope crash on the floor. And he had backed me up into a corner and was making threats to my life. And I was like, well, this is it. And then I heard my dad. And I'm like, OK, I'm hallucinating. Right. I, this is this is the last moment. And then pounding on the door. And my dad had heard all of it. And, yeah, I I mean, thankfully, there was someone else in the loop because at that time I hadn't told anyone and anyone who had brought it up to me, I was like, no, it, you know, I, it's not that bad. He's stressed at work. And I think that a lot of it was not wanting to give up on him. He had a hard childhood and anger issues and I could fix him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And I definitely, I mean, I loved him. I wanted him to be the same person he was when we first met. And he was charming and great. And everyone thought we were the it couple. And so, you know, I I wanted to kind of bring light to it's not going to change. And for it to change, the abuser needs to get help. And a lot of times the abuser doesn't see that they need help. So they don't. And even if they do, because my thought process was like, okay, he'll get help. He'll get therapy. And we'll live happily ever after. And my therapist said, well, the boundary's already been broken. And my mantra at the time going through my separation and divorce was, I love him unconditionally, but my marriage has conditions. And he's he's broken that. What gets me to sleep at night is that he went to therapy, and he's a better person, and whoever he's with, he treats her well. But I don't know. That person could never be me because, yeah, the boundary was already broken.
1: I I like what you said there a second ago that you can love someone unconditionally, but the relationship or the marriage has boundaries or has conditions that's very powerful because I think a lot of people don't understand that separation or that there can be that separation right uh just because you love someone doesn't mean you have to be in relationship with them absolutely you can be in relationship with them
0: he was part of a very influential integral part of my life from like 14 to 24. is right. pretty big. And we had history together. Yeah. And so he's always going to be part of my life and the good and the bad. Yeah. And so, you know, here I am 10 years later talking about it still. And I just have to kind of take it as a lesson. And yes, the part that wasn't that great, but In the end, I'm definitely a stronger person because of it. I do want to say for the listeners how to spot those things and the warning signs, basically just how to kind of get a friend or yourself out of it. And I think that self-identifying it is the biggest component to that. Because saying what it is. Yes. Calling it what it is. Yes. And realizing that this is what's happening because I think a lot of people don't. When you have a friend going through it saying, oh, you should leave him. He's a jerk. Doesn't really cut it because that immediately puts your friend in a defensive position. And it's instinctual to be like, no, that's the person I love. And so kind of reframing that into I've noticed, you know, you're not going out as much anymore or – your performance at work is lacking or you know I, I feel like you're a little bit more tired or sad lately what's going on and really bringing to light like how it's affected them because it's not always going to be coming to work with a black eye or those types of things and then if you can you know especially if it's someone you're close to you can kind of recruit family members or siblings and friends and coworkers, and multiple individual voices are much better than like an intervention. Because that's going to put them on the defense too. And so each person kind of saying like, I've noticed this is going on, like I'm worried. It can kind of help that person realize, oh yeah, this has changed me in a way I don't want or identify the issue at hand. Just personalizing it and realizing like it is not going to get better, that boundary is broken and finding a safe
1: exit. Which can be difficult. <laughs> well, that's the hard part, I think, for mm-hmm. a lot of individuals. And just just speaking, since we're talking about a woman in a situation like this, it's like I think for a lot of women, it's hard, especially if if they lean on this person as the primary breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't have a job steady or financially stable enough to provide their own living situation, right. or there's children involved. I mean, it just can be so complicated. It can to get
0: out. Luckily, there are resources to do that. There's Interact in Raleigh, and then there's North Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence in Durham. But a lot of shelters and college campuses have them too. They have free legal services, they have housing, they have jobs, they have career counselors to help you get jobs and practice those interviews and stuff. The main thing is to get out safely and that whether that's squirreling away some funds, which is scary. For me, I definitely I documented all of the, especially once it started getting physical, I documented a lot of the bruises, screenshotted a lot of texts, and I would email them to another email address. That was mine. I probably should have done a friend or, or trusted loved one, but I just didn't want to forget it. And I also didn't want to not have any evidence mm. if I needed it in the yeah, future. that was smart. If you can trust someone with that, I wouldn't want it to stay on your own phone because it could get smashed mm-hmm. or he could get to delete <laughs> <Cat>. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's really important. But also that safe exit plan can be, you know, finding a loved one that will take you in. If there's kids involved, you've got to like call the schools and after school activities and make sure that they know, you know, only Mm -hmm. mom or dad or whoever needs to pick up the kid. And restraining orders can cover you and your family or loved ones. You can actually include multiple people on that Mm -hmm. restraining order. And If they, you know, if you're dating and don't live together, you want to change your locks and block phone numbers and stuff that you
1: can to protect yourself. Absolutely. Smart suggestions for sure. What would you say to someone who just feels completely stuck? Like they don't, they don't believe that there is a safe way to exit. What would you say to that person?
0: I would say just look. Because I think that that's the biggest hurdle is actually taking that first step and that You are worthy of being loved and respected. And it's, I know it's so hard because you've been gaslit into Mm -hmm. believing that you're not, but you are. But even if you can find just one person, whether that's a therapist or a friend or a family member, to just hear you and be there for your support and help you get out as safely as you can.
1: You know, you mentioned earlier about this uh ex, this individual <laughs> using the Christianese, you know it's yes. your it's your God given duty to X, Y, and Z with me because I'm your husband mm-hmm. or, or whatever. You know, I think as a spiritual person myself, I you know, I hear that a lot from women who feel they're obligated to stay in a marriage because God looks down on divorce, mm-hmm. or, you know, stay in abusive situation, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, God would think poorly of them. I have so many thoughts and opinions. About yeah. That, but what would you say to someone like that who feels stuck because they think that because of their religion, not just Christian, but any kind of religion that might say that a woman needs to stay subservient to the man?
0: <laughs> I could get on a soapbox yeah, as well. Sure. <laughs> you walk into any church and say you've, been treated like this and the first thing they will say is that's not christ-like and a husband has a duty as well to treat his wife with respect and love a christ-like love and that you that's not what that is and so if she he's not exemplifying that then it's not a christian marriage to begin with
1: yeah Absolutely. I mean, I totally agree. In my years working with women, you know, I've heard that. You Mm -hmm. know, they feel like they're supposed to stay or work it out because of the religion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's just, to me, that's a stretch. I, I, I never believe that God wants anybody to be miserable. Right. And if you're miserable, then there's always an exit plan. Yes, absolutely. What other thoughts could you share with listeners who might be going through something like this? If any of this resonates with the listeners, you know, any other suggestions or, or advice that you would give to a young young person <laughs> in a do- domestic abusive situation?
0: Like I said, find someone that you trust to talk with. Look up those resources. And and what's cool about all of the resources that I've looked up is they have an exit plan tab on their mm. website, and but they also have an exit website <laughs> 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 button that you can quickly X out of if. If you're in a dangerous situation um, and it deletes it from your history and stuff like that, they've got protective measures, but they also have some great tips for exit plans catered to kind of what you're dealing with, especially if you have kids or you live together or you own property or are married. Those are all different situations from each other that you have to kind of account for.
1: Well, Tamara, I really appreciate you sharing your personal story and experience with this very sensitive topic. And I know that there's bound to be a listener out there who resonates with what you've shared and and maybe now will have the courage and strength to seek a way out and find professional help or a loved one they trust so that they can exit this awful situation. So thanks again for coming. Thank you. If you've been listening today and you want to reach out to a professional for help with any kind of domestic abuse, violence, or any traumatic situation, you know where to find us, 1-80counseling.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Turning Your Life Around podcast, presented by 180 Counseling, with five triangle locations to serve you. Learn more
0: at 1-80counseling.com. This has been an exclusive presentation of News Radio 680 WPTF and 98.5 FM, a Curtis Media Group station.